is sin, and what role does it play? In this episode, we're going to talk about the fifth article of faith in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Anthony Alegria. And, <laughs> yes, and with us over there in the guest chair, though he's becoming a regular contributor and even co-host, we have Pastor Mike Proctor. Very good. All right, so in this episode, we are going to be talking about sin. We're going to discuss some definitions of sin. Of course, we're going to look at the Nazarene article of faith on this. And I just want to have this disclaimer. We're not going to settle all issues that one may have regarding the topic of sin, but we do want to give you some pointers so you can help understand what the role of sin is, some, well, definitions of sin, how it applies to life. And that way you'll be able to better articulate not only your own faith, but you'll be able to teach others around you and have some good, meaningful conversations. So let's begin by jumping right into this article. Now this is the fifth article of faith in the Church of the Nazarene's manual. And Pastor Amanda, would you read us the opening point in the article of faith? Right, so the article of faith on sin is rather lengthy, um, so that's why we're going to kind of do it in segments. But this is the first paragraph, and it reads as follows. We believe that sin came into the world through the disobedience of our first parents and death by sin. We believe that sin is of two kinds, original sin or depravity, and actual or personal sin. All right, so let's start by having some definitions for sin. There's this old definition that many of you may have already heard of missing the mark. Um, Pastor Mike, tell us a little bit, what does this mean, missing the mark, and why is that a definition for sin? Well, missing the mark is, well, it's pretty point blank there. Just not, it's not being um, who you're supposed to be or what you're supposed to be. Uh, it's it's missing the mark, missing the target, the bullseye of what we're supposed to be. Yeah, so that's an archery term originally, and the implication in missing the mark is is that you, as one who is created in the image of God, you have a meaning and purpose for your life. God has something He has designed to be lived out by your person, and you have missed the mark. You are not actually getting to that meaning. You're not coming to fruition as you were supposed to. You've missed something. Um, Amanda, do you have any thoughts on missing the mark before well, we... Yeah, and I think we have to be careful, especially with this definition. It is a very classical definition um, of sin. Um, but one of the kind of careful places we have to be in this is sometimes people say missing the mark. Like if you think of an archer is aiming, they're intentionally, they want to hit the mark and yet they still miss it. And so this kind of can lead us down, I think, a bad understanding of sin where um, even if you try your hardest, then you can still um, you can still sin, that you can still mess up. Versus I think a more Wesleyan understanding of sin would say, um, you know, even with intentionality, yeah, you can still make mistakes. Um, but God is there to give you grace and strength enough that even when you don't quite do, or we, even if your intentions are good, just mistakes are still made, that there is forgiveness. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a sin. It could just be it's a mistake. And so I think we have to be careful with this definition because sometimes it might blur the line between a mistake and a sin. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that's why your definition in explaining your and Pastor Mike's definition is it's not missing the mark in the sense of intentionality versus um or I guess intentions versus what actually happens, but it's missing the mark in you were created to be somebody, but you have failed to be that person you were created to be. Yeah, it's not like there was a, a accident. Say you're somebody who is within a church and maybe you've been assigned the task to clean a spot in the foyer and you go out there and while you're trying to clean, you tip over a paint bucket and suddenly there's been paint spilled everywhere. And so your, your purpose and intention was to go out and get clean, but you ended up making things a bigger mess. 
Um, you know, I, I have done things of that nature. <laughs> I know certainly um, others may have as well, but it's not a really moral issue that you, you miss the mark on that. It's, it's something where it's just been sort of a, a circumstantial accident really without moral implication. Right. Um, unless you were the spiteful person that right. poured unless paint everywhere. Unless you purposely spilt yeah. the paint because, I don't know, you were mad or something. Then that does move us into a, a sin yeah. issue. But I, I think that clarification has to be taken. Um, because I think there's a lot of people who, even by the grace of God, are trying to do well. And, and still, like, you know, for your example, sometimes paint gets spilled. Sometimes bad things still happen. And they begin questioning their walk with God. And I, I think we just have to be careful to... Um, help people understand that that's not what we're talking about in this specific definition. Very good. And I don't want to throw too many things out there. I was almost questioning my walk with God the <laughs> other day. I had three spooky things happen in one day. I'm a person who can't sleep if there's any light on at night. And the bedroom that is adjacent to my bedroom is where I, I put my dog at night. He's got like his own bedroom in his own kennel. <laughs> and I can't sleep if there's any light on. And the other morning I woke up to him barking and the light was on in there. I was like, that's weird. Because I, I can't sleep if that light's on there. And I, I get up all throughout the night. I'm a really light sleeper and I can't sleep well. And then about 30 minutes later, I was putting a book back on the bookshelf. And I, I used to have a plasma ball that's sitting on top of the bookshelf. And I hear it explode and then it falls like an inch away from my head. Oh my and then when I went in the kitchen, there was a, just a paper towel that was falling to the ground in between the, the cabinet and the island there. And I was like, was that just suspended in there? Um, it starts to make you question, like, is there there's something weird going on in life? I don't know. Um, anyways... Um, weird things in life that I think are just random circumstance that seem strange when all <laughs> piled together. Anyways, moving on with our definitions of sin. There is the next one that I'd like for us to talk about, which is incruvatus in se, which that's Latin for curved in upon oneself. Pastor Mike, would you like to talk with us a little bit about this? I know whenever I think of this, I think of something like dehorning a cow or even some rodents which have teeth which will curve in and go right up through their skull and into their brain. I'm sorry if that's a bit graphic, but it is the truth of things. But it's this idea that when you curve in upon yourself, destruction and sin can happen. Pastor Mike. Well, obviously being a cattle farmer, a rancher in the past, we, we've dehorned a lot of cattle. And so, you know, the, the, the horns and sometimes even scurs can get loose. And as they turn, they'll come in on the cattle uh, on their head, just as Dylan said. So it's important to dehorn that, cut that horn out. And so for, for me, I think it's very important to realize, even though this is sin, is, is the brokenness of relationship that curves in on yourself uh, that, that is so um, debilitating and paralyzing and, and leading to death. But sin is not a substance. So like you can remove and dehorn a, ca uh, an, a cow or a bull. You can uh, take those horns, those scurs off. You, sin is a relational problem. It's not a substance where you can remove it just like you can, uh, I think Pastor Amanda mentioned earlier about uh, perhaps having a surgery and removing a gallbladder. Sin is not substance where something you can remove like that, but it is truly broken relationship. Got my sin organ right, right over here. Oh yeah. Um, thanks <laughs> the sin nature. organ. The sin organ. Just and, go ahead and take it down. Yeah, and, and yet sin can be cleansed from our lives. And that's right. when, when, as we go in this conversation, we have to always remember in, in any kind of good theology, the statement of, I believe, help my unbelief is always a good place to start, is, is we are talking about very complex and infinite issues, and yet we we have finite words. And so we use this analogy uh, of curved on oneself, we use the analogy of the horns, um, but at the same time, we, we confess that sin is not something like a gallbladder can be removed, and yet sin can be 
cleansed or healed from us. And so um, this, this becomes really interesting. And this is why we have such a long article of faith. It, it's, it's very cumbersome to read as we will get into. Um, but, this, but we have to have all these words to articulate something that is so deeply enrooted in, in all of our lives. And one more point before we move on to the next. The incruvatus in se, this idea of like dehorning a cattle is sort of the illustration. And while it's not a substance issue, when you dehorn a cattle, it's one of the most bloody, like brutal things ever. But it's actually done for the longevity of the animal's life. Um, a lot of times people think only bulls have horns. This is just not true. Um, in my lifetime, it's always been cows that we've taken the, the horns off of. It is a, a savage appearing thing, but it's actually done for the necessity of the animal's life. And a lot of times with sin, which again, it may not actually be a physical horn. Um, if you do have physical horns coming out of your head as a product of sin, please send us a, a note. We will be there. <laughs> we will be there very shortly um, to deal with that issue. We'll bring the dehorners. We will <laughs> and, and the holy water. Um, please, please do contact us if that is the case. Um, Pastor Mike, thoughts on this issue? Well, it, I, th I think we need to clarify a little bit when we talk when I talk about uh, broken relationship because I think there are four areas that is uh, very much uh, Dr. Dunning has talked about it in his book Grace, Faith, and Holiness, but uh, obviously broken relationship with God um, and what our relationship with God is designed to be, being the image of God created yep. in the image of God, and then of course uh, broken relationship with one another. A broken relationship with uh, all of creation and how we are to be uh, stewards of this world that God placed us in, but also a broken relationship with ourself. And that is a one that, that needs a lot of um, uh, discussion in the world that we live in today because a lot of times I think that's where you see that brokenness where perhaps it's serving or whatever it can be. It can come turn in on yourself and then all of a sudden you find yourself um, like you said, faith, you know, strengthen my faith, Lord. Uh, maybe we've done yeah. things to, I believe, to ourselves. Help my unbelief. It's a help great, my unbelief. great line. Yeah. It's a great line. Um, the next definition of sin, we're going to go through real quick, but we'll come back to it, is this idea of a willful transaction against a known law of God. Pastor Amanda, why do we even get to definitions that are so legalistic and specific as this? Well, and I think because we have we, we come to to this article of faith um, through history and time and conversations, really, you know, just short of two thousand years of debate about what it means to be uh, a follower of Christ, and especially post uh, Reformation, we have this beginning this conversation. Um, well, not beginning. I think it was happening long before the Reformation, but the Reformation really draws it out where. If we are saved by grace through faith and not our own works, then what does that do with our definition of sin? So what are we saved from? What are we saved to? And this all comes into place. And so we have to kind of give ourselves some, some parameters of what we're actually talking about. And, and there are some denominations and some theological traditions that says you have to sin in thought, word, and deed every day. And it just happens because you're human. Versus a Wesleyan response would be like, well, no, you don't have to do it because it is a willful, you consciously thought of it, you consciously, uh, the decision was laid before you to do A or B or not do A or B, and that's part of the discussion as well. Um, not just an action, but also an inaction. 
And so that's why we've come to this definition is really, I think, because it is a response to some more Calvinistic or really kind of post-Calvinistic thoughts of sin. And so we've had to clarify when we say sin and later on, we're going to say personal sin or actual sin, which is kind of a funny definition within itself by saying actual sin. But anyways, is we're saying that this is something you maybe you didn't put a lot of thought into it, but there was some use of your free will in this action or inaction that was a sin or is a sin. Right. Anthony, I know you had some thoughts on this as well. Um, I was just going to say, I was reading a book, uh, what does it mean to be a Nazarene? And so uh, inside it, it's talking about our tradition and all that stuff. And it says that Wesleyans could be said to be the Inuits of sin, which is just to say, in English, of course, we have one word for snow. Whereas the Inuit people have like, I forget how many words it is. There's like over 30 different types of snow or something like that. And so that's sort of how sin is. There's different types of sin. And so that sort of helps to account for why we've got three listed here and why we've got such legalistic language pertaining to the one, because this is the one that I think we all consider to be the um, the sin that people should really focus and hone on, right? Well, I, I do hope the implication with the Inuits and the, a lot of words for snow is that they deal with a lot of forms of snow. I hope there's not a <laughs> increased um, tendency or increased bend towards sin within such no. circles. But anyways, uh, Pastor Mike. Well, I think uh, as, as many of us in this room here and pro- those of you watching can uh, bear with the, uh, remember probably being in Dan Spross's class when uh, he would talk about, you know, do I can keep on sinning, quoting Paul in, in Romans and the powerful Meg Anointe, by all means, no. Uh, and Dan Sprouse really made that clear. But I would like to say that the power of God is so much. I like to, uh, sin may be, you know, something that's, uh, that's, Part of what we're born into can be that personal sin, where we are, make a you know a break a known transgression. I mean, a break a known law of God um, and, and go into transgression. But I would like to say that that you know the power of God is God powerful enough to save us for one moment? And well, the truth is, yes. To that point is why even send his son if he's not going to save people from sin? Oh, absolutely. Like it, I mean, it totally delegitimizes the entire ministry of Jesus if there is no actual dealing with sin. Um, but with that being said, let's segue right into the first um, bullet point below uh, Article 5, so the next paragraph in that. Amanda, would you read that for us? Well, actually, real quick, before we go there, I was wondering if uh, we could say something about what it means for it to be through the first disobedience of our parents. And also possible to bring up the first time missing the mark did happen, which one of our viewers commented about. And so I think that'd be cool for us to discuss. Well, I will say this. Anthony over there slipping in. That's going to be one more brick in the wall for you becoming an anchorite. Well, to this idea of the first parents, when we go back to Adam and Eve in the garden, and in the future, for those who, who follow some of the more sermons and Bible study things we do at Kingdom of the Logos, we're actually going to start one on Genesis It is interesting the way that evil creeps in. I think there's a natural tendency to curse God and die that we can trace all the way back to Adam and Eve there in the garden. When the serpent comes in and people want to debate whether it's, you know, is it the devil? Is it Satan? Is it the accuser? I don't think it really matters what this crafty creature is. And I'm going to steal Amanda's um, emphasis on just the crafty one. Um, As he comes in, this crafty serpent, 
he basically just wants them to to curse God in the sense that they're no longer listening to God's instruction of moral compass. And the product of that is actually death, quite literally. They become aware of good and evil when they, they eat the fruit and they are no longer in this wonderful utopian guardian garden of, of eternal life. They are going to die now. The consequence of their sin is they get sent out into a world that is brutal. It is savage. You know, they have shame because they realize they are not equipped. When you're butt naked, you're not really well equipped to, to walk through some thorns. Um, you're not prepared for a hot summer day or a cold winter's night. You are not prepared for that at all. And those are just some thoughts I have on that. Amanda, do you have anything? Yeah, well, I was just, I think as, yeah, that's kind of the language when we say our first parents. And also it goes back to really, and I think <laughs> I'm going to get myself a little bit in trouble. So send your pitchforks, uh, I guess, to 1253 Vault That's the address of Trinity Church where I minister. Um, is I think this is where we get ourselves in trouble by having sin kind of before grace as our mm. article of faith. Yeah. Versus if we started with an article of faith of grace, we could talk about and discuss being created in the image of God, even though it is referenced in, in our article of faith of sin. We could really discuss about that beforehand and then move to the brokenness. And the reason I bring that up is because when we talk about sin being from our first parents, uh, even though we do, of course, hear that story in Genesis, really where it gets its emphasis in Paul's writing, where he talks about the first Adam or the, the first person to sin, the first human, uh, humanity, uh, humanity's fall. But this is in contrast to Christ, who is the firstborn of um that is the first to die and the first to be resurrected. And so there's there's something that's happening in these statements about sin, already we are seeing prevenient grace, although we won't get to that article for another two weeks. We're already seeing this slip in because the idea of our first parents sinning has to be held um, in context of the first son of God, who who is Jesus Christ, who is our savior. Um, and so I, I think the reason I bring all that up is, is I think we have to see that even in the garden, even before Adam and Eve chose to curse God and die, there was provision, there was grace. Yeah, it doesn't come out of anywhere. I mean, it, it doesn't come out of this random void itself. It's something which is God gave them instruction. Yeah. Adam and Eve weren't living in the void where they were just, oh, what are we going to do? God actually gave them some. And, and God gave them the choice not to yeah. trust yeah. God. Like, And that's what the that's what the, the tree, the knowledge of good and evil really is. And because some people who, who would try to debate um, Christianity would say, well, they made that choice before they had the knowledge because they didn't eat the fruit yet or whatever. And you're like, well, you're misunderstanding the story. Yeah. They exercise. They always had free will from the beginning. But they exercise that free will because God allowed them not to be held captives. God yeah. never forces God's self on us. It says you have free will. You get to choose when you become of age of understanding what you're going to do, if you're going to live in faithfulness or not. And that's what now because Adam and Eve made that choice, every human afterwards has been born into a broken world. Yep. So that's and then that also speaks to about them being our first parents. It's not so much a genealogy thing as much as it is this is our world is broken and because of that brokenness all of us regardless of when where how what we were born we are born into a broken world. Yeah, love is not the same thing as compulsion. God does not force behavior. I mean that that's just how it is. All right, well, let's get into this first paragraph now real quick. Okay. All right, so it reads as follows. Uh, so this is Article of Faith 5 still, but point one. It says, We believe that original sin or depravity is that corruption by the nature of all the offspring of Adam, by reason of which everyone is very far gone, 
And I love that. Not just, not just kind of gone, very far gone from original righteousness or the pure state of our first parents at the time of their creation. It is averse to God, is without spiritual life, inclined to evil, and that continually. We further believe that original sin continues to exist with the new life of the regenerate until the heart is fully cleansed by the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Um, there is a lot to unpack here, and I mean a whole lot. And this is where we're going to talk about this when we get to the article of faith on grace, entire sanctification, and all that good stuff. But basically, it, it's kind of just saying that that inward bent towards self, um, and that even where, when we repent of our sins, that we still need the continual work of the Holy Spirit, and we come to a point in our lives where we even give up that bent towards self to be consumed by the Holy Spirit. And if anybody wants to get online and read this, if you don't have a Nazarene manual at home with you, you can just do a search for 2017 to 2021 Church of the Nazarene Manual. There's an online version of it that you can find really easy. Just type in Nazarene Manual, find it, and then click on Church Constitution, and it will give you the Articles of Faith. You can get there in like less than 20 seconds. It's, it's I very think it's intense. also available online in several different languages. Yeah, yeah. So, I oh, mean, yeah, just yeah. Whatever means you need to kind of, if you and need to visually it. see it. Yeah. When, when can have you it? You can always have it. It's easy access. Uh, I, I want to make a confession here before we dissect this. Yeah. You know, I've, I have been in the Church of the Nazarene. I think I've got a great grandmother on both of my sides of the family that are in the members in the Church of the Nazarene. Um, I have been one who hasn't ever given much thought to the whole total depravity mentality, but the older I get, the more appetizing it is. And I don't mean that I'm rejecting the idea of entire sanctification, but I used to kind of think of there was total depravity down here, and then there's sort of sanctification up here, and it's sort of a spectrum. The older I get, the more I think this like total depravity all the way up to here, and then sanctification, and then like entire sanctification. <laughs> I think I think that the spectrum of total depravity is total depravity for a long way. I don't think it's like you're a little depraved and then totally depraved. Somebody proved me wrong on this. Uh, a little little confession I have there. <laughs> well, and, and I think this is interesting then also, again, to understand where in the context of what are, where our words were written and why they were written the word. The reason you don't see the words totally, total depravity in this article of faith, I think, is because for some theological traditions, total depravity means something different than in our tradition. Yeah. And so that's why we just go with depravity versus total depravity, because there are those that would say total depravity means they're like, there is no entire sanctification, that you're, you can kind of get saved and you seem righteous, but you're really not. Um, and also, like, Listen, there are brothers and sisters in Christ and God can deal with them. That's not my job. It's way <laughs> above my pay grade. But again, to your earlier statement, if Christ did not come to save and to save us completely, right. then what was the point of the cross? And I guess, again, send your pitchforks and torches to 1253 Balti. Or you can send them in the form of a like or a share or grabbing yes. a, a link and sharing it with your friends. Or, or comment. You, yeah. Or comment, yeah. Um, or you can donate at patreon.com slash kingdom of the Logos. <laughs> And that, again, is patreon.com slash kingdom of the logos. Um, though you don't have to. It's a free program. Um, one more thing before I, I throw this over to Anthony for comment. Our, our article of faith here, it says the new life of the regenerate, not the new life of the degenerate, yes. which is an important distinction to make. Um, anyways, Anthony. Okay. Well, um, I was just going to say y'all were talking about how some people, or I guess a lot of people actually, a lot of people believe that there is no salvation from sin, only from the effects of sin, and only some some of them only in the afterlife. So really, only salvation from hell for a lot of these people. And there is no salvation in this life from sin. And um, I will say that the sad thing is, a lot of those people 
really believe that because they don't have language for different types of sin. And they only see the one overarching short of God sin. (laughs) And they rightfully recognize that we will not become God. But um, at the same time, a lot of them also have an idea of discipleship and of living in such a way to not willingly on purpose sin. And so it is kind of sad. A lot of, I think a lot of times, at least for the lay people, it's in word that they believe there is no redemption from sin. But then they also try to live and encourage discipleship to Christ, yeah. which is, you know, trying to grow out of sin and in holiness, though they don't want to use those words. Right. So it's sort of a weird, um, almost a false dilemma a lot of the time. Those are, there are also plenty of people who are very hardcore about it. So. Right. Well, and I think to clarify something, and, and something I'd recently heard and some people talking about, especially when it comes to the Nazarene and other Wesleyan traditions, um, we, although we will talk about salvation and the entire sanctification as two works of grace, there is one crucifixion, there's one work of grace by Christ, and there's one salvation. We, we are not, in us trying to differ out, differentiate these, these uh, personal sin versus uh, the sinful nature, we are not trying to confess somehow that there are two different works of grace that have to take place in the sense of crucifying Christ again. Um, and, and I think what, what's interesting, I think Pastor Mike was kind of going here um, in, in a little bit earlier in our conversation, is John Wesley talks about s- willful sin stops at salvation. That's, you know, so when you confess to God, I am a sinner, I am in need of salvation, that that salvation is not just an abstract spiritual concept, but is something that consumes my whole life. That is when willful disobedience against a known law of God stops. Now, we still have free will, so you can still choose to do that. But because you're in that right relationship with God, God empowers you to say no to sin or yes to doing righteousness. It is an entire sanctification that is that bent towards self is straightened out or bent to God. And so when Pastor Mike was talking about earlier that God can save us, his grace is sufficient for one moment, two moments, three moments, and that can lead to a day, a week, a month, a year, a lifetime of this true that, that as, uh, as Anthony was saying, that we are not just saved from hell and we're not just saved from the consequences of sin, but we can be saved from sin uh, every day, every moment of our lives. And that is... Yeah. And also, uh, Pastor Mike in one of his sermons recently talked about if we're going to, if that is a work of grace for, for us to be saved every moment of life, for some of us, we, we may have two definite works of grace and salvation, entire sanctification. Some of us might need 10. <laughs> some of us might need 100. Well, that brings us to a question. Uh, <laughs> for many people, they may ask, well, do you still have the ability to, to willfully do that? Pastor Mike, after one may pursue sanctification, when after one may even be entirely sanctified. Can they still choose? Does free will go away at that moment? Wow. We're going to break down all the articles of faith before we get to them. Just <laughs> well, oh, well. <laughs> but we'll quickly go by this because we still got a few few points to consider. Well, there's something to consider here when we talk about being saved from sin, saved um, from hell, saved from... Uh, but we're saved for a purpose. And that purpose is to be the image of God, to, to reflect God's love in this world. And so... Um, If we are the image of God, God is truly a God of free will. And we are created in the image of a free will God. So yes, we can still choose to sin after experiencing God. And that's why I like to say that salvation is past 
tense. It is, there is a moment when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but also salvation is, is like, uh, I like to use the um, uh, story about placing a Neosporin salve on a wound where it needs to be applied over and over again, and that salvation of God is applied to us over its past, its present, its future, and I am thankful for God's salvation. It's ongoing to heal me, to bring me to that image of God. So there's a place for confession, as Pastor Amanda would say. Um, I look at myself and look at Christ, who is the image of God, and I confess there's a difference. And I raise both hands and scream out to God, please apply salvation on me again. And so uh, when we come to that place of entire sanctification, we are completely um, given up our will for God's will and ask God to use us as his instrument in this world. Um, so and, it's, and there is a distinction between the two. And I, I just want to throw this out there. I feel like a lot of the cultural battles that we fight, if we would actually look to our own orthodoxy about the distinctions between some of these things like salvation and sanctification, oh, a, yeah. lot of, a lot of these battles that we fight would become really moot points because we're we're fighting things that have really been hashed out on a more fundamental level than the specifics. Anyways, um, let's go a little bit further. Amanda, would you read 5.2? 5.2. All right. And so this is under, um, so it reads as follows. Sorry. We believe that original sin differs from actual sin. Again, this is talking about personal sin. Oh, and it says actual sin. So we believe that original sin differs from actual sin and that it constitutes an inherited propensity to actual sin for which no one is accountable until it divine, its divinely provided remedy is neglected or rejected. All right, so can someone put that back into English for okay, us? Okay, <laughs> so basically the natural state for humanity after the fall is to curse God and die. And unless one accepts the remedy that God has outlined sending his only begotten son that we could be saved, the natural trajectory is just to curse God and die. And we find this in really a lot of our old stories. A lot of times people want to look at Job and talk about the suffering. The suffering is a mere proxy for the rest of the story. It's not really the heart of it. The heart of it is this accuser comes to challenge God and he wants to destroy the righteousness and holiness of God. He wants to convince God that, well, Job isn't really righteous. You just pay him to be righteous. And it's interesting because when the accuser comes in the book of Job, he asks for Job's corpse. He wants the dead Job. It's it's really a really grotesque thing that he requests. And of course, Job's own wife will literally say, curse God and die. But that's actually the same request that, that Satan has in that beginning of the book. He wants Job to just curse God and die. He literally says, if you take away his things, he'll curse you. And by the way, can I have his body? Can I have his bones? You know, his corpse? Can I have this? It's really what Satan wants. And back in the garden, you've got the, the serpent there. He wants them to curse God. And of course, the product of them cursing God is to die. And really, this is the natural state, is curse God and die unless you accept the remedy. Let's go ahead and jump to 5.3, and then we can have read all the way through this. Amanda, could you read? 5.3. We believe that actual or personal sin is a voluntary violation of a known law of God by a morally responsible person. It is therefore not to be confused with involuntary or inescapable shortcomings, infirmities, faults, mistakes, failures, or other deviations from a standard of perfect conduct that are the residual effects of the fall. However, 
Such innocent effects do not include attitudes or responses contrary to the spirit of Christ, which may be which may properly be called sins of the spirit. We believe that personal sin is primarily and essentially a violation of the law of love, and that in relation to Christ, sin may be defined as unbelief. Okay, so basically, sin, the natural trajectory is to just curse God and die. However, aside from that, there are times where you specifically, as an individual, as a person, you choose to do things which are sinful. There are times where you come in and say, eh, I'm going to gossip about people today. I'm going to misrepresent what I saw earlier because it's towards my own personal disposition. You know, I'm going to spread some, some fake news or propaganda, even within my own local community or family, because that's what I want to do. Like, there's just this natural tendency where you say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do something bad today. Uh, I'm going to to go in there and steal some cookies or something. And, you know, it, this is the just the legitimate part of it. There are times where people decide to do this. Anthony? I will say that I've never noticed this last line here, and there's something really, really interesting about it. So here it says that, we believe that personal sin is primarily and essentially a violation of the law of love and that in relation to Christ, sin may be defined as unbelief. And what I find so interesting about that is um, lately a very, very up and coming, very, very popular psychologist and sort of starting to be called ethical philosopher Jordan Peterson has been uh, on a world tour and he in one of his interviews was asked why he doesn't like to say necessary why he doesn't like the question do you believe in god and his answer is because none of us live well actually only one of us only one man ever lived as though there were a truly good and transcendent god and he died on the cross and I think that there's something very, very deep about that. I don't think that there's only one man. I believe that there are many people who have been made saints by the Holy Spirit. But at the same time, there is something really, really deep in the idea that we don't live. Many people who claim that they believe in God don't actually live as the, live as though they believe in a truly good, transcendent God. And if they do, then their actions will show that. And I think that there's... It's it's really, really deep, and I think that's why this last part of the idea yeah, it's, in relation to Christ, sin may be defined as unbelief, is a really, really interesting thing. It is, and one of the things which is also interesting, just to throw out a contrasting idea, throughout the 20th century, and when I was doing research for another sermon, I was trying to get a specific name for a specific book that I'd read, and I realized there was a whole bunch of names for a whole bunch of books that were all basically the same book. There's a lot of people who have been self-proclaimed atheist and by their intent they are going to prove that God does not exist but they start by saying we're going to accept all of Christianity to be true we're going to live the way that we're instructed to by the orthodox truths of Christianity however we're going to do this so that we can prove that God doesn't exist and after they accept God at the top of their moral compass they actually become people of faith and the reason why I bring this up is because belief and unbelief are things that are more sophisticated than we are aware of them when the man comes and says, I believe, help my unbelief, he's actually being pretty honest. He says, I recognize something about Jesus, but I have no idea how it works. And you find that there are people who they claim that they are, are Christians, they, they profess something, but yet their heart and mind is at a total different place. Their mouth may say one thing, but their heart and mind is not. Now, that doesn't undermine the value of a, a verbal confession. The power of, of your personal testimony is very important, and it is important for you to get to that moment where you confess it verbally when you're willing to do that. But at the same time, we recognize that 
belief is a very complex thing that we don't really understand. Pastor Mike? I think all of these articles are, you know, it's hard to just pull one out without talking about the others. But <laughs> especially when it comes to the word faith, it there's uh, there's so much. You, you know, with faith, we also have an element of fidelity, loyalty, um, and and so there's there's so much that goes into the word faith um, that you know I, I guess a, a good word study is needed there. Yeah. Well, and I think why this this it's important to see that that last statement is connected to the law of love. Um, and it's more than just taking a couple of verses literally or just not doing or doing the Ten Commandments, although that, that is part of it. But the law of love is something much bigger and much more complex than just a couple of bullet points that we write down um, for us to feel good about ourselves. And so when we talk about belief, like Pastor Dylan was talking about, it is complex. We do confess sometimes our belief, but we don't get, we don't get it to the point, to the end of a pencil point. We don't have everything figured out. That's not what... Um, you know, we're not asking anyone to, 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 to do that, but it is this trust that Christ will guide us in the law of love. And so when we come to these choices, and sometimes there's an A or B choice, sometimes there's an A through Z choice, and through all of that, we are called to be people of love. And again, this is something Mm -hmm. we've harped on before. Love is not just an emotion. It is not easy charity. It, It is this confession that all we are is God. And we treat everyone, regardless of who they are, regardless of where they find themselves, as if they are created in the image of God. And because this, they are created yeah, in the image of God. Yeah, this is where one of the basic tenets of Christianity, our value system is not by the standards of the world. It's not by the value system that you decide for yourself. But it, we are created in the image of God. And God gives us meaning in doing that. And while people may be wildly different from one another, God gives us different graces, gives people different talents. We all know this is true. But yet our inherent value is in the fact that we are a reflection of God. All right, so let's segue into scripture for time purposes because I, I want to give us some thoughts on how do we actually combat sin? Because one of the issues people have is how do we deal with evil? And I think Zechariah 5, which again, we just finished up a whole sermon series on Zechariah, where a pastor. Uh, Zechariah 5 has an interesting image that is similar to Pandora's box, and it actually tells us a little bit about how we deal with sin. Um, this is Zechariah chapter 5, verse 5 through 11. Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, look up and see what this is that is coming out. And I said, what is it? And he said, this is a basket coming out. And he said, this is the iniquity in all the land. And then a leaden cover was lifted and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, this is wickedness. So he thrust her back in the basket and then pressed the leaden weight down on its mouth. And then I looked up and I saw two women coming forwards. The wind was in their wings and they had wings like that of a stork. And they lifted the basket between the earth and sky. And then I lifted to the angel who talked with me. Where are they taking the basket? And he said to me, to the land of Shinar, to build a house for it. When this is prepared, they will set the basket there on its base. Now what you see happening here is a woman who is the literal incarnation of sin. It's a physical incarnation of it. It's not just a metaphor, though, of course, this is representing things. There's some elements (laughs) going there. But within the, the framework of the prophecy, there is someone who is a physical manifestation of sin and inequity. And two other women who are our traditional images of angels, they've got wings and stuff. These other women, they're the workers of God. And what do they do? They come and they package up sin in wickedness. They put a lid on it and they take it out of Jerusalem. They take it out of the spiritual center and they build a house for it. 
And this is one of the same themes you find in Genesis when God is talking with Cain. He says, you know, evil wickedness that's crouching at the door. It wants to consume you. It's like a predator. You've got to rule over it. You don't eradicate sin and wickedness. You actually have to do the hard manual labor. Build a house for this stuff. Not in your house. Put it, you know, Shinar is a place over in Babylon. Take it away from the spiritual center. It doesn't need to be deep within your soul, but you have to constantly be doing the manual labor of packaging up evil, put a lid over it, contain it, and upkeep that because you have to rule over sin. You can't just ignore it. You can't just pretend that you've wiped it out. It is something which you have to constantly be fighting back. And, and I don't mean that from the sense of saying that people are. I'm not trying to take this in the Baptist total depravity way. I'm just saying evil in the world, sin and wickedness, the natural state fallenness of the world, it is a perpetual battle. And this may be other things that crop up in the world. Um, people think they've beat down certain evils. They crop up again. I'm not just saying within ourselves, but evil ideologies, things that murder millions of people, things that crop up time and time again, bad things happen in society. You have to constantly be fighting this stuff up. Anthony. Um. I wanted to touch on that earlier myself. Whenever, uh, towards the beginning of the of this episode, someone commented, the first missing the mark was mentioned in Genesis 4, which, at least as far as the English translation goes, I've noticed that myself. The first time it's brought up is in Genesis 4, sin is. When Cain's face was down and God asked him, why was he angry? Killing or murder was the first missing the mark, which I think what's even more interesting to notice there in that story is, coupled along in that first mentioning i think within the in the same sentence there is the idea that it is crouching at the door waiting to devour you and you must rule over it and so i think right from the get-go the theme concerning sin in scripture is to overcome it well i i will say this though i'm i'm hesitant to put a label and say this is the first time it's there because it's actually pretty unclear where it comes from that's the things which is about it because sin is actually pretty mysterious in and of itself not in the way that God is awesome and mysterious, but instead in more of a terrible, wicked way. Because even the, the crafty creature that comes to talk and, and try to play some games with Adam and Eve, we have no idea where its motive originates from. There is an assumption that its bend towards wickedness comes from, I mean, that desire is there from some capacity. We have no idea to what degree or anything of that nature, but the hints of it and the assumptions of it are there before that moment, though it's not clearly articulated. We don't have a clean-cut moment that says, and suddenly creation has this new idea. Because again, it's something which is its looming. It is like a crafty creature itself. It's wily. It's tricky. I would definitely agree with that, but that is the first time the word pops up, which is, I, I do think it's interesting. The first time the word pops up, it's presented in the in like I guess the context of overcoming yeah. you know it's not something that's to rule over us we're to rule over it and yeah. I, just, I think that's great Well, and I think also um, as Dylan was discussing kind of the m- mysterious or crafty nature of sin I think we also have to see that uh, sin we are not dualist sin is not the equal to God it is yeah. not the dark force that, that God has to fight in order to, to, to save us um, sin, or to be legitimate yeah it, it, sin is that brokenness. It is that desire for self to be God, to be ruler, to be um, advocate, to be the one that gets to decide what is and what is not. 
Um, and so as Pastor Mike said, we were created in the image of God, and that means right relationship with God, with others, with creation, with ourselves. And sin is anything that would destroy or um, corrupt those right relationships. And so we, we see in our articles of faith a lot of words and a lot of lists, and sometimes it's a little cumbersome to read and understand. But the general gist of it is that anything, an action, an inaction, or even an emotion or thought that is disruptive against righteousness, right order, right relationship, is sin. And sin really doesn't care how it tricks people. Right. The serpent doesn't care that much. He just His victory isn't just getting them to, to play the game, really. Um, once that game is played, the conclusion kind of naturally unfolds. But leaving people on one more note, because you, you took this in a really good direction, Amanda, that I want to elaborate on. There is not this false dualistic you know, binary choice of saying, well, God is here and Satan is here and there's sort of these evil cosmic twins that are dueling it out. It's not like that at all. And one of the things which when I was younger in in my faith, um, younger both as a pastor and just as a general Christian, it used to bother me when a lot of the, the hellfire brimstone, more fundamental theologies, they would really try to convince everyone they were sinners. Because I looked at this and I said, well, they can't justify the existence of any of the tenets of Christianity without having something to have as their foil. Like the only value in God is that he's the, the foil of Satan, essentially, or something to that effect, where it's, it's sort of set up in these these unnecessary um, cosmic conflicts which are only there to justify one another. That's not the case of it at all. The reality of God, the meaning of God, it can stand alone. However, one of the things which I have come to find is that actually convincing people of sin, convincing people that they are sinners, is actually a way of liberating people, liberating them free from the brainwashed stance that we have in our modern world that says, you're free. If you just go out and do whatever sin you want to, you're actually free. That's not true. There is liberty in recognizing that one is a sinner, confessing those sins, and then moving away from that. You know, Adam and Eve, when they have shame, they're ashamed of the fact that you're about to run into a thorn bush, and you know that? That ain't so fun when you're naked. I mean, we have a lot of farmland. It's not sometimes fun when you do have a lot of clothes on. Um, that being said, when people confess their sins, you know, take a basic sin like gossip. Once you actually are able to overcome that, you know, your life quality is better. It doesn't mean that sufferings and things go away when you confess sin. That doesn't mean you're suddenly the pie in the sky, you got a golden mansion, you won the lottery. But you do win more of a eternal lottery. You find an eternal salvation and meaning which trumps all of the the worldly standards of, of value. Um, so, Pastor Mike, I'll throw that over to you. Some final thoughts on when people recognize sin and they want to confess that and move away from it, that there is liberty found in that. Absolutely. And and understand for those who are struggling, um, and I think, I think it's fair to say that everyone has struggled at some point in time, and it seems like, you know, you're beaten down, but as the Apostle Paul writes where uh, sin is, grace abounds, and the grace of God and the love of God can deliver us from sin. And, uh, you know, there, there's, uh, there's a seriousness um, to, to, to uh, dealing with sin that must be taking place in everyone's life. And so uh, the truth is we can't do it by ourselves. We have to have God to help us and ask for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit.
And sin can have bad effects which last for generations and they cause conflict. Recently, I heard a story where a, a man called into a, a Christian program, or no, a woman called in and she said, I have a six-year-old girl. I had an affair with this man who was married and he had kids in his own marriage. He cheated on his wife with me and we had a child. Or no, they didn't have a child. She, she was just having an affair with him. And she said, I actually don't know who the father is, but this man, he was coming and visiting us. And he was you know, in a relationship with me for the first six years I had this girl. And she thinks he's her father, even though he's not her biological father. And she wants, or, and she wants to keep calling him dad, even though he's decided to break it off with me. And he wants to go back to being faithful from his wife. And she was asking the, the host, she said, you know, is it okay for me to tell my daughter to still call him daddy? And the host, he kind of throws up his air and he says, the only thing I can say is this is why sin is sin. Because it causes so much turmoil and it complicates life. And this is just sin. You've got two basically family structures which have been broken apart. They've been mixed together. The child has no idea who its dad is. The man it thinks is his dad is not really her dad. And this is, this is the product of sin. It complicates life and it makes things which are almost irreparable. Sin brings about chaos, and uh, it affects more than just the person it's in. It yeah. affects the whole community. Yeah. Um, even especially in adultery, you see that it's not just uh, you know the two people involved in that or or however, but it affects families and yeah. it affects the uh, the whole the whole structure. The good news is that. God brings order to the chaos and delivers us from sin. And we don't have to live in that anymore. Praise and that being God. said, this Sunday, our program that will come out will be on Genesis 1-1. We'll be talking about the word, the Logos. Where we get our name, the kingdom of the Logos. It is a mysterious thing. God's word is a tool for bringing order to the place where there is no order, bringing meaning to where there is no meaning, and transforming chaos into something greater. Well, we're going to go ahead and close there. Amanda, do you have any final thoughts? You good? Mm. Anthony? Nope. At peace? Well, <laughs> after this, we will be adding a few bricks, blocking Anthony <laughs> up to his permanent residency as a literal fixture of the building, becoming an anchorite. Um, but thank you for joining us. If you'd like to share our content, that would help us out so much. Again, just getting the word out. We are a proudly Church of the Nazarene clergy here, trying to give you tools and let you work out your own theological discussions, send your thoughts, comments, and questions to us. If you'd like to subscribe, that will help us out tremendously. Share a link with your friends. And with that, God love you and have a blessed day.